I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship with your host, Claudia Pauls. Although many of us are still living in a social quarantine situation, April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And though many in-person events may not be taking place, the awareness and the hope for prevention is still there. So to uh, honor this month, um, our producer Dan will begin by sharing a story of a survivor. Did he always intend to go that far? Why me? Was I an easy target? Is it my fault? These questions no longer haunt me, but they still exist. I was a 13-year-old in 7th grade just trying to survive mean girls, figuring out my body, and thinking about boys. The usual 13-year-old girl stuff. I remember feeling innocent among my friends. They all had siblings a few years older, so they were all well-versed in things 13-year-olds should not be talking about. But there I was, an insider, yet still somehow an outsider. Seventh grade was going as normal as seventh grade could go until my friend's cousin started to take notice of me. I was 13 and he was 19. He was a senior in high school and talked to his cousin at least once a week at school. I was with her the last time they had spoken in the halls and from that point on he acknowledged me. It started with a quick hello or a wink as I walked by. I was 13 and a boy was being kind to me. I was flattered. He started to come into my classroom as the teacher's assistant. His behavior became more flirtatious. He started hugging me and touching my arm or back if we walked by one another. I thought nothing of it other than I cannot believe this cute older guy is being so sweet to me. I remember sitting in class when one of the guys in 8th grade came in. He walked right up to me and said, I was just with blank, and he said if you were older he would totally F you. I honestly did not know what to say at that point. I was no longer flattered, but my best friend was standing right next to me and bumped my side and smiled at me like I should be excited. It made me feel uncomfortable, but I didn't feel like I could say anything. I did think it was weird that he would say that, and at that point, I never had sex. I had never done anything. I just moved on from that particular statement and pretended it did not happen. Plus, what was anyone going to do about him saying it? Things continued on. He continued to come into our gym time after lunch, taking pictures with me, flirting in the halls, and so on. The end of the school year was nearing, and he was getting ready to graduate. It was my friend's birthday, and she was having a party at her house. I figured he would be there just because of the family relation and because I might go. I knew my mom would never let me go with this particular friend. She had zero supervision at her house, but I planned to sneak out. I was honestly sick about the thought of doing that. I was not thinking about the consequences, and I truly did not want to, but I thought I was missing out on something. 
The night came to my friend's birthday party, and of course my mom said no. My friend and I communicated to when and how he could pick me up for the party. I put my pink princess robe over my clothes and waited until my parents were asleep. I heard him honk as he went by, and I knew it was time to sneak out. I got out of the house easily and quickly. Again, I was literally sick. I threw up three times that night just because I was so nervous. We got to the party successfully, and all I could do was sit there and act as though I was enjoying myself. The party was a party. I found out after getting there that not only was this my friend's birthday, but it was also his birthday. Why would he want to spend his birthday with a bunch of 13-year-olds is beyond me. Well, it was until later. Most of our friends left, and it was just me, him, and his cousin, my friend. We ended up leaving to go to his friend's house for a little, then coming back. She fell asleep on the couch, and I was watching TV on the other couch. I couldn't sleep. I just wanted to go home. I knew I screwed up coming to the party. He came from the hallway and gestured me to follow him. I was scared and nervous, but I got up and I followed him into my friend's bedroom. I honestly did not know what was going to happen. I was 13. Fight, flight, or freeze. I froze. I cried. I did not move. I stared at the ceiling, unable to react to anything. Halfway through the rape, tears streaming down my face, he said, Are you okay? Are you serious? I know you can feel my shaking body and hear me crying. You know I am not okay. I don't remember making it back to the couch, but I did somehow. I fell asleep and woke up to my parents screaming at me because I had never come home and they figured out I had snuck over to my friend's house. I was grounded forever and they questioned him about why he would ever pick up a 13-year-old girl. They never called the police, though. At the time, I was glad, but now I wish they would have. After I returned to school, everyone knew what happened, and then I heard he had told everyone we had sex. He told everyone we had sex. Consensual sex. It ruined my reputation. I was called every name in the book, and everyone looked at me differently from that moment on. For the next seven years, yes, seven years, I was suicidal, depressed, anxiety-ridden, and I went from being a virgin to sleeping around. My ability to say no was taken away from me. I lost my voice. I started letting people walk all over me and using me. I was so angry and I could not express why. I became mean. I entered into a teen dating violence relationship that left me with a broken rib and heart, thus creating in me more unhealthy habits. I had the most distorted view of what love was. I had no idea who I was and I didn't know how to fix anything. I did find healing, grace, forgiveness, and my voice. My healing started with forgiveness. I forgave him and all those that perpetuated his consensual sex story, and I forgave myself. I know that my healing had to start with forgiveness. At some point, I had to stop being what happened to me and blaming others for my choices. I had to let it all go so God could piece me back together and help me find my voice in a healthy way. I am still healing, and I always will be but it is part of the process. What happened will never unhappen, but it does not have to run my life. I also forgave my parents. Part of me always blamed them because I thought they knew what happened. But when I finally told my mom and dad at age 27, I realized through their brokenness, they truly had no idea. I had been holding resentment toward them for 14 years, and I was freed from that seven years after I started my healing process. As I stated before, healing is a process. Something I have to point out in all of this is the grooming. 
He groomed me from the moment he saw me to the night that it happened. He knew what he was doing and what the outcome would be for him. I used to blame myself for sneaking out that night, and I questioned whether or not if he really knew what he had done. He did. He just did not care, and it was not my fault. Also, I knew something that was not right from the beginning, but I ignored it. Even at 13, I knew it was wrong. Trust that feeling when you get it. You are most likely right. Again, please remember that healing is always possible. There is someone out there that cares deeply for you and your scars, and what happened to you is not your fault. Thank you, Dan, for sharing that story with us. We have been joined. Um, Deborah Hackworth is here uh, from DASIS, the Interim Executive Director, and Krista DeBoer, who is a sexual assault therapist with DASIS, is also here uh, to share their insight and, and uh, information about this story. Thank you. Um, one thing I want to point out is, um, unfortunately, this story is, um, it happens far too often. Mm-hmm. You know, um, each individual's situation is unique, but the parameters around this story is something that in our work we hear a lot of times. And so um, the fact that um, a 19 year old perpetrator was um, preying on a 13-year-old, it it happens. It's not sexual assault does happen with strangers, but stranger danger is only between 25 and 15% of the sexual assaults that happen. Yeah, I think I heard a statistic that it was in 90% with somebody Mm. that you know. Yeah, and so um, when I think about um, children who are perpetrated on um, and I look up information, there's a lot of information about prevention. And that kind of gets under my skin because that puts the onus, that puts the responsibility Mm -hmm. on the child to keep themselves safe Mm -hmm. from adult predators. Yeah. Not enough attention um, is put on educating um, adults Mm -hmm. or even holding adults accountable for not perpetrating on children. Mm -hmm. I think we see that in all sorts of ways, not just with this story, but I think just society in general, um, where there's so much victim blaming and a lot of onus going back to their survivor mm-hmm. instead of focusing on the perpetrator and their role in it and their responsibility. Right. And so maybe as part of teaching children how to protect themselves and that they need to take responsibility to protect themselves, we can also teach them that it is not their fault and the fact that adults are misbehaving and making them have to protect themselves mm-hmm. is a horrible thing and a situation that society really needs to address. I think we need to point out that um, it's I'll I'll reword what you said a little differently. It's not the responsibility of children to protect themselves. It's the responsibility of adults to protect our most vulnerable assets, which Mm -hmm. is our children from predators. And so 
um, instead of placing all the focus on how to tell children to protect themselves because if they're protecting if they're in a situation where they're having to protect themselves they're already being violated Mm -hmm. and so what we need to do as adults is to have our eyes and ears open and watch every little thing if something doesn't feel right to you address that Mm -hmm. don't be afraid to offend someone if that person is potentially a danger to your child your niece your cousin your neighbor across the Mm -hmm. street if when you see i can't say it enough if you see something say something that's how we keep our children safe Mm -hmm. um holding perpetrators responsible Mm -hmm. for what they do and if something has happened over and over again tell that child it's not your fault you are not responsible for what happened it's what this person did to you not what you did Mm -hmm. because if someone chooses to or didn't do if someone chooses to make a child their victim or anyone their victim that's that person's choice the person who's being victimized doesn't have choices Mm -hmm. in that um in that situation their power and control have been taken away from them do you see deb part of that um as caregivers having conversations about sex or about sexual abuse do you think that's something that could be helpful when we're talking about the story um and the person not telling their parents so do you think having conversations about sex or about sexual abuse with kids would be part of that? There's definitely a need for age-appropriate conversations with children. Um, and I will say, having a conversation with your child about sex is not encouraging them to have sex. A lot of parents will... Right. Um, well, like, well, I'm not going to talk to them about it because I don't want them to think that it's okay. Mm-hmm. And so having um, two girls growing up in this day and age, I had to start having those conversations with them, real conversations. Mm-hmm. And um, as a youth leader in my church, it was really, I'm just going to be honest, it was really easy for me to talk to someone else's kids <laughs> right. about sex sure. and, and what's right, what's wrong, what should be, what shouldn't be, mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. And I promise you, the first conversation I had with my daughter, I was short of breath. I was hyperventilating. <laughs> I had to Google some things. <laughs> but you did it. But it was important that we had that conversation uh-huh. about what's right, what's wrong. And if something happens, you know, even if you make a bad choice, you can come to me with this. And and I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you unconditionally. I'm going to love you through this. We're going to talk about what's right, what's wrong. We're going to talk about what choices you have and what needs to happen beyond this situation. Mm-hmm. And always, it's not your fault. You mm-hmm. did, If someone sure. has violated you, that is not your fault. You did not choose this. Um, let them know that they have a voice. Oftentimes, we'll shut kids down about talking about their abuse. And it's not because they don't need to talk about it. It's because we're uncomfortable with the conversation. And so we need to get past our own feelings about Uh what has happened and our own um, opinions Uh on 
and be able to listen to children so that they know that they can come to us with these things. I'm sure those parents are pretty distraught in that um, I'm sure they thought they did everything right, right? They said, no, you can't go to the party. They didn't anticipate that she would sneak out. They Mm -hmm. didn't, when they go over to get her the next day while they're yelling at her, yelling at him, Mm -hmm. saying, what made you think you could do this? And then it didn't click how how odd that would be that a 19-year-old would want to um, come and party and pick up a 13-year-old. I mean, just so many things that I'm sure they just continue to beat themselves up about as it's already over. So don't worry about embarrassing your children. Ask those tough questions. Figure Mm -hmm. out, you know, if this feels weird, follow up on those feelings and, and get to the bottom of things. I will say without, and I would never blame these parents because they woke up to a crisis. Right. Mm -hmm. They didn't even know what happened to their daughter. But when they woke up, their 13-year-old was not at home. Their 13-year-old was not in their bed, in in her bed. And so they're already having a crisis of their own. And so when they got there and they saw that their daughter was safe, so they thought. Right. Their focus was on the behavior, mm-hmm. not what make. Because in your mind, worst case scenario, they woke up and they thought their daughter was dead. Sure. They thought their daughter had run away. So they were dealing with the crisis that was at hand at that moment. However, it didn't really leave space mm-hmm. for her to go into what else happened. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, and I don't, I, I'm just going to tell you, I know as a parent, I don't believe I would have handled it any different. I, w- I right. would have been so relieved right, that my daughter was alive. Yeah. And yes, she would have been grounded forever. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. But knowing what I know now, once we got home, I know I would have said, tell me everything. Right. And that's the what, tip you, for parents. Right? right, right. But that's knowing what I know. What I know isn't what the average parent walking down the street knows. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we're here to educate on those things. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, part of it um, in our uncomfortableness, sometimes we use euphemisms for sex mm-hmm. and or for genitalia. But I think part of it is using the, the right words. language to talk about sex Mm -hmm. because if your kid is telling you a euphemism and you don't know what that is Mm -hmm. you're going to assume that everything is okay Mm -hmm. but it could be I'm being Mm -hmm. abused but because we didn't talk about that in a language that everybody understands something could be going on and I could be unaware of it as a parent absolutely Um, one thing I want um, a teen to know if they're if they've experienced this is I'll go back to it again. It's not your fault. Mm -hmm. You may feel like you're going crazy, and that's not unusual for what it is that you've been through. Um, Your emotions, your feelings about what you have gone through are appropriate for what you've gone through. And there are certain things when you've been traumatized, you see the world differently and everybody's not seeing things the way that you see them. And so you're labeled as unstable and crazy Mm -hmm. and you're not 
unstable. You're not crazy. You're seeing things through a different lens and being able to find a safe person to talk to about these things is important so that it can validate and and you find comfort in knowing that you're not crazy. You're not nuts. Something that I notice um, sometimes with clients that will come in to see me is that they're even the chronological order of events with someone um, that hasn't experienced a trauma like that it's easy to say this happened at this time and to to be able to say chronologically this is what happened but with many survivors of trauma it gets very disjointed so it can be kind of all over the place and if you think about a map it's they're kind of here there and everywhere Mm -hmm. and and that's the sometimes the work is how do we after this trauma and your brain's going, um, you know, a thousand miles a minute, how do we bring order and structure to the experience as part of the work? Mm -hmm. Because our brains have experienced something that they can't really understand. So how do I bring this back to um, who am I? Where do I belong? And what's my place in the world? Mm -hmm. And being able to bring that order and that structure to the to those experiences also being able to deal with your peers that's one of the sadder parts of this story is how her so-called friends um jumped on the i'm accusing you wagon and then who does she go to so Mm -hmm. and i'm sure this is not a unique story that that happens frequently especially in those teenage years yes she became um isolated within herself because of this unexpected thing Mm -hmm. that happened to her and so she already having feelings within herself about what has happened and then she became socially isolated because she became Mm -hmm. known it the responsibility for saying no was put on her right right Despite mm-hmm. the responsibility for this not happening was put on her. And so here's this young lady who's now um, ostracized. She's being punished at home. Mm-hmm. She's being embarrassed and humiliated at school. Mm-hmm. Where would anyone go with this mm-hmm. at 13? At 13, you don't have the skills and the maturity. Mm-hmm. And the knowledge. And the knowledge to deal Mm -hmm. with what's all coming at you. So, you know what? She took as much control over her life as she could could Mm -hmm. with the knowledge and skills that she had, which was not much. So that Mm -hmm. played out in the decisions and choices that Mm -hmm. she made. Yeah. Even if you look at it developmentally at 13, who do you tend to listen to the most? Who do you believe the most? It's your peers. Right. So if you have a bunch of your friends or peers or, you know, whatever, and they're all calling you names or they're all looking at you in a certain way, I think sometimes, you know, as a teenager, you listen to that probably more than your parents Mm -hmm. or caregivers Mm -hmm. because that's where you are even developmentally. Yeah. And in this age of social media, yeah, Mm -hmm. how quickly that can grow. Mm -hmm into not only um, the people who you see on a day-to-day basis weighing in on who you are, mm-hmm. but then it becomes literally global because it's the World Wide Web. Right. That's what those three W's stand for, the <laughs> World Wide <laughs> Web. And um, 
And so there's no escape. No, there's no escape. And who do you tell your real story to Mm -hmm. about what happened to you? And who's going to believe me? Because I can't I can't even wrap my head around what happened to me myself. Right. Who's going to believe that I was I didn't want this. Mm -hmm. I snuck out of the house. So I am responsible mm-hmm. for what happened to me. Yeah. And she was not. She mm-hmm. is not. Hmm. So if you are listening to us today and you know a child or an adult that you feel this applies to, that could be struggling, that could need an avenue to, to let people know what happened, how, how would you approach that person? Or, or if you are listening and this has happened to you, where do you go next? Well, I would, um, I would reach out to um, a support agency. And the great thing about the Internet is you can go on to Love is Respect or Rain mm-hmm. or any of those and chat with someone anonymously mm-hmm. and and say this is what I'm going through this is what I've been through I need help mm-hmm. and be able to get help you can call our 800 number 1-800-828-2023 and ask you know um, this I know of a child that this has happened to or if you are that child even as a child even as a teen a tween a young adult you can call that number and say this is what has happened to me and I need help or I need to tell my story every school at least in Michigan I'm which is where we are but hopefully nationally has okay to say mm-hmm. and that's like on every website stickers textbooks teacher classrooms letting kids know that it is okay to say and mm-hmm. there is help mm-hmm. one thing I want to say is as an adult as a trusted adult if, if a child comes to you we have to be honest with them because we have this okay to say, but I need to be honest with you. When you come to me with this and you tell me at 13 that a 19-year-old has taken advantage of you and assaulted you, and let's just call it what it is, because calling it a sexual assault softens it, you've been raped. When you tell me this, I have to be honest with you. It's my duty as an adult, as a mandated reporter, to make sure that you're safe and anyone else will be safe from this person. So I can't keep your secret a secret. But I am here to love you and support you and believe you through this process. I can't tell you that um, this is going to stay between you and me because it can't. But that's the first step. If but you keep it a secret, it'll never get better. Yeah. So even if they know you're going to have to report what happened, they can still be safe in that you don't have to report it to them. I mean, or, or there is still confidentiality. We have to report who the victim is. We have to report who the perpetrator is. Mm-hmm. But that information on the victim is held confidential a victim's name unless they put it out there is never released to the public um they they still own the right to tell their story themselves if they want 
um, the prosecutor office and the police, they do as much as they can. And the judges, they do a great job, especially in our area, on protecting the rights of the victim. This is going back a little bit to what we talked about earlier, but Mm -hmm. having a safe, trusted adult that you can talk to Mm -hmm. and the power of that because making these phone calls can be so difficult but if you can do it with somebody Mm -hmm. that you trust Mm -hmm. you don't have to do it alone absolutely absolutely you're not alone you're not alone and I'll point out one other thing that um our survivor said in her story, her gut told her something was wrong. Mm-hmm. It's okay to trust yourself. Mm-hmm. I think something else that I really wanted to <laughs> highlight was that empowering, taking back your voice. Mm. Part of it, it isn't just about telling, it isn't about speaking your story. It's about getting back to that hope and to that healing, mm-hmm. to know that. I know that this happened and now I can use my voice. Now I have been empowered so I can talk to my parents about this Mm -hmm. and not just that, but I can control the narrative and how I'm going to frame this. So it doesn't have to be about the perpetrator. It can be about my story and I can talk to my parents about this in a way that I couldn't before Mm -hmm. now that I have had healing and hopefully some more wisdom and insight into the experience Mm -hmm. to then be able to share it with other people in the way that you want to, right? the way that you can take it back because that perpetrator no longer has that power over you or over your story or over your life. Right. Now I can speak about it the way that I want to, and I can bring light and hope and healing, hopefully to other people if they've gone through something similar. And I think that that's a very important part of the healing process um, is to take back that power and to know that my voice, maybe I didn't have one. I didn't know how to use it. Now I have my voice and I'm going to use it in a powerful way. Absolutely. So it doesn't matter if this happened to you last week. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, if this is something that's still impacting your life and it's causing you to be stuck at the time of your trauma, there is help, there is hope, there is healing for you. And so reach out for help. We're here to help. Thank you both. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org. Or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it, all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.